The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Today we're going to finish the book of Ruth. We're done with our eight-week journey, uh, which has been a blast. Uh, Just to make sure, in case you're joining us either here today or by live stream and you haven't been with us for the previous parts of the journey, I just want to, as I've done in previous weeks, give a quick recap, just so you're not totally lost as we dive into these last few verses. So what we have in the book of Ruth is a story that starts out with a guy named Elimelech. He's married to Naomi. He has sons named Malon and Kilion. They all leave Bethlehem. They leave the land that God had told them they should stay in and be safe. They head to Moab to avoid famine that was happening in the land. Uh, Elimelech, the dad, Malon and Kilion all die, but not before Malon and Kilion marry uh, two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. So once they're dead... In ancient society, uh, we've now got three women. They're in a very vulnerable, difficult position. And so three widows, not just women, but three widows. And so uh, Naomi makes the decision she's going to go back to Bethlehem. And uh, Orpah is able to be convinced not to join her. Ruth, on the other hand, the Bible says, clings to her. Says some very beautiful words, a declaration of loyalty, uh, that she's going to go wherever she goes, and I'm going to die where you die. And so they do. They go back to Bethlehem. The way they're going to survive is that Ruth's going to glean. This is a law built in uh, as a help to the poor and as a check upon the greed of the wealthy. Uh, Ruth was able to go out into the fields where landowners were not able to harvest all of the grain, uh, especially out on the edges, but then also if grain was dropped as they were harvesting, they're supposed to leave that, knowing there was going to be folks that needed to grab that just to have something to eat. So Ruth's doing that. She The Bible says it just so happens she ends up in the field of Boaz, who we find out is a close kinsman, and there's a possibility there for her to be redeemed by him because of another law provided for in the uh, books previous and in the history previous, God knew that widows would be in a difficult position. And so there was this possibility for a close relative, oftentimes a brother, so if, if a man dies and has a wife, his brother could then marry that wife, and and if he had no children, raise up children in the name of the deceased husband so that his legacy could continue. And so this also tied to land and the way that was transferred down through generations. And so this provision was there. Uh, Boaz notices that Ruth is a woman of excellence, he says. Boaz also shows himself to be a man of character, integrity. And there comes a point where uh, Ruth approaches him and asks him to be that goel, the Hebrew word kinsman redeemer. He agrees to do that. And he goes to the city gate because there's one guy in relation closer to uh, Ruth and Naomi. And so he negotiates with that guy. They swap shoes, weird Old Testament customs that I explained in weeks past. Uh, Go check that out if you want to. And that leads us up to the point where Ruth and Boaz are able to be married uh, and they have a son. His name is Obed. And so we find ourselves now in the last six verses We're in Ruth chapter 4, verses 16 uh, through 22. And so uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, we will have the verses on the screens. And if you don't own a Bible, please give us a chance to give you one. Uh, We'd really like to do that. We want everyone to have a copy of the scriptures for themselves, okay? So we're going to read Ruth 4, 16 through 22. Just six verses. You can do it. We can do it. You ready? All right. Here we go. 
Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. Uh, that's, any of you plan on letting the neighbors name your child? I mean, Old Testament's weird, man. Some goofy stuff going on. I mean, whatever. It's cool. I like the name. Uh, Obed. Okay, so he's the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron. To Hezron was born Ram. To Ram, Aminadab. And Aminadab was born Nashon. And Nashon, Solomon. And Solomon was born Boaz. And to Boaz, Obed. And to Obed was born Jesse. And to Jesse, David. Praise God for his word. Now, I've been telling you this whole book that I was trying not to preach this the entire time. So y'all know what's about to happen. Okay, it's going to get a little live because I'm excited. So you can sit there like a bump on log if you want to. I'm about to have fun. So you do whatever you're going to do, okay? And some of you, I could think, I could anticipate that you might be thinking, I've set myself up here for a hard road to hoe and, 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 you know, that's, Do you know what that means? Like a difficult task. Okay, that's kind of a country colloquialism there that I've picked up along the way. But this is not a hard road to hoe, but you could think that because I'm only leaving here one line about, you know, Naomi being Obed's nurse and then a mini genealogy and then trying to preach a whole sermon from these six verses. But what that shows us, if if we are thinking that or we could be tempted to think that, is, is that our attitude towards the genealogies in the Bible, it often reflects our lack of understanding the intersection of God's sovereignty and the idea of legacy. Okay? If we, and I'm hoping we do by the end of this sermon, have a firmer grasp on those principles, we won't see the genealogies as something to skip over. We'll realize they have very crucial purpose in the scriptures, okay? So, and why is that? Why, why are we tempted to get in those long lists of names and start to kind of glaze over, right? What happened? Well, our perspective, let's be honest about ourselves and think for a minute. Our perspective is narrowed and restrained by time, right? It's often hard for us to deal with the difficult realities in the here and now, much less be thinking about generations down the line. Okay? God is not restrained by time like we are. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He always has and always will exist. And if we're going to be honest about that, how that strikes us, the idea is mind-boggling. And for us should be humbling. I think most of us have an easier time imagining God being eternal to the future. Even that's a little bit of a hard stretch to to really try to conceptualize. But if you think about God eternally in reverse, (laughs) what? (laughs) Does not compute, okay? Um, and that's good, it should, and that should humble us. Right then, it should bring us to a place of going, okay, I'm dealing with someone here that's above me. I'm dealing with concepts that are above me, okay? Uh, that's not how everyone responds, though. Some, because, because they feel the legitimate impact of, of the collision 
between that truth about God and, and, and the limitation of, of their cerebral cortex to understand that, right? Because of that collision, they end up choosing to shake their fist instead of bend their knee. I'm just here to tell you today, the right response is to bend your knee, okay? <clears throat> there, there's, I have an imperfect but potentially helpful analogy to try to help us consider, because it is, it's worth trying to understand, right? You don't, you don't come up to that collision of difficult ideas about God and just say, oh, well, I'm going to stop thinking about it. But there is, does have to be humility in how we approach and think about it. But I, I have an imperfect but, but hopefully helpful analogy, okay? It's to think of all of history between creation and Christ's second coming. Right? So I'm basically using that as the wrap-up of human history, okay? You could say creation to consummation if, if you like the more theological terms. Think of that period of time as one very long football game. Okay, I'm not done yet. <laughs> I know you didn't go, oh, that makes it, oh, now I get it. I'm not finished, just hold on. And let me deal with this. There's probably a couple uh, sports ball super fans in here thinking right now, well, well, are you talking about American football or are you talking about soccer? <laughs> it doesn't matter, okay? Think whichever one you like better. Just imagine that, okay? It's fine, all right? Lord, help us. Okay, but here's, okay, now we're gonna get into this, this analogy. We are all players experiencing the game as it happens. So all we know is what has occurred and what is occurring at the moment. Okay? But God is like a very involved owner of the team. And, and he's, he's sitting up in one of those glass and enclosed rooms, you know, where like wealthy people get all the nachos they want. Like that's what I've heard happens up there. I've not actually been up there yet, but you know, and I don't really like live sporting events, so I probably won't be. <gasps> yeah, I know, whatever. Um, TV's better. I can hear the commentary and actually see what's happening. So. And I'm not that into nachos. So, All of that was not a plea. Like, if you have contacts with somebody that's got box seats with free nachos, don't, you'll waste them on me. I love you. Thank you for trying to think about blessing me, but don't bother. Okay. Amen. So God's like a very involved owner, and he's sitting up there, all right? But he's, he's an owner. He's like, He's like Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos and, and Elon Musk times a million, okay? Because he's an owner that, he, he doesn't just have a spaceship, okay? He's got a time machine, all right? And this owner was able to go forward in time and get the game tape for the whole thing, okay? So he knows all the intimate, every detail. He can fast forward, rewind, and, and he's so smart, he's memorized it all anyways, he knows what will happen for the entirety of the match, okay? And this allows him to call down plays to the coach that ensure the outcome is exactly what he wants it to be and when he wants it to be. God is outside of time. And oftentimes when we try to conceptualize how God's sovereignty works and how all of this works, we're coming from this very limited, narrow perspective that's used to viewing things through the lens of time. God is above all that, okay? His vantage point is totally different. And we got a factor for that, okay? <clears throat> and I know, invariably, I've got a few of you right now with, with some version of the phrase, well, what about in your mind right now, okay? And look, <clears throat> if that's you, all right, I told you that this is an imperfect analogy because that's all you're going to get when reaching for comparisons 
trying to make sense of an eternally holy, powerful, good, and loving God. Any, and it's, so should you, if it's imperfect, should you reach for analogies? Well, Jesus did. He said, I'm a door. I'm the door. Okay? He did that all the time. God in his scriptures all the time uses comparison and analogy to try to, try to, it's almost like us getting down on our kids' level to explain things to them in terms they can understand. But the distance between us and our kids, if it's represented by a space like that, you know, I can't reach to show you the space between God and us, right? Amen. All right. Now, so if, if you're hung up, don't be hung up on, on the details of that analogy. It's, it's imperfect, but hopefully helpful. Everyone say imperfect. Let me hear you say that. Say, but hopefully helpful. Okay, so don't leave here and say, Pastor Vince is a heretic. He said all of history is a football game. You know, no, it's an analogy. All right, chill. But all of this is to say, all of this is to say, there's a reason God includes genealogies in his word. He wants you and he wants me to see and celebrate his sovereignty. And he wants you to think about legacy. Absolutely, that's part of the purpose of those. God's sovereignty and this idea we're talking about of legacy, they, they intertwine pretty tightly. And by the end of all of this, it, they, it might look like one rope, and, and that's okay. But what I want to do with you is try to pull, pull on them as, as separate threads for at least a minute. Okay, and we're going to do that by starting where we started in the text today at verse 16. Okay. So it says, then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. This is Naomi, remember. Naomi, who had experienced the grief of losing her husband and two adult sons. Now we see her having the, the joy of holding a grandson in her lap, an experience she surely couldn't have imagined as she was trudging back towards Bethlehem from Moab with her one widowed daughter-in-law. Okay? Imagine what Naomi could have perceived as possible on that walk back and then think about what we're reading. Okay? This is part of how we can train ourselves to think about God's sovereignty and, and, and what we're going to do with the difficulties in this life. So, but we need to ask, how did this beautiful event come to pass? where Naomi's getting to hold this grandson and letting the neighbors name him. That's not the beautiful part. That's the weird part. But this is beautiful, man. This is cool. And it is, it's so beautiful. Here, let's say, I'm, I'm joking about the neighbors, but man, this is so monumental, we could miss it. This is so monumental, the neighbors are, and everybody's all riled up. This is amazing. Look at what God has done in Naomi's life. Look at what this baby means, right? It means so much. And how did this come to pass? One answer has to do with God's goodness and his expertise in turning tragedies into testimonies. He's an expert at that. But the other answer has to do with Naomi turning towards God in the middle of her struggle instead of running from him. Both. Her decision to return to the land of Israel to move towards God, even when even what, what she thought was happening was divine judgment. You remember that? So the hand of the Lord's gone out against me. That's, that's how she saw this. It, it led 
her doing that, it led to her legacy. And let me just say, when I keep saying legacy, what am I talking about? I'm talking about her impact, okay, throughout future generations. Someone else, someone else may define legacy different than that. This is, that's what I mean. Her impact through future generations. Her making that choice, her moving towards God, even though her perception of the thing was that she was being judged, it led to her legacy being far more positive and powerful than she ever could have possibly imagined. And, and the understanding of why that is doesn't, doesn't stop with Obed. Um, we have to get into the genealogy <laughs> to see what's going on there. And, and I just, I noticed, maybe for the first time in, in thinking about this this time, that there's an echo here of another woman who had to completely trust God and then found out that that trust was well-placed. Uh, her name was Jochebed, and this is the mother of Moses. It's interesting that she decided, because the Pharaoh had said everyone Moses' age, little boys, were supposed to be murdered, she makes a little basket and sticks him in the Nile River, floats him down, I mean, entrusting him into the hands of God. Moses ends up floating down to where the daughter of Pharaoh is taking a bath in the river. She draws him up out, has compassion on him, and calls and says, sends, sends one of the Hebrew girls, go find me someone to take care of this baby. I'll give you three guesses who they went and got. His mama, right? And she got to be the nurse to her own son. She released Moses into God's hands and he put him right back. Ooh, there's something in there for you, isn't there? Come on now. You see, friends, the sovereignty of God let me define that. I define legacy for you. The sovereignty of God, and here's, again, theologians smarter than me probably would have more flowery things to say. Here's how I'm summarizing that. It's the fact that he has a plan and his plan will come to pass. That's what I mean when I'm talking about the sovereignty of God. His kingship, okay? He's, he's the top dog all the way around, okay? He has a plan and his plan will come to pass. That's when I'm talking about the sovereignty of God, especially in this context. The sovereignty of God is never presented in the scriptures as the, the fatalistic puppet show that so many reduce it to. And I understand why that happens. It's confusing. It's hard to conceptualize. That's why I gave you the football analogy, and I'm going to keep working on it. It's important. As much as we can understand this, we should, but, but there is a point. There's, there's going to be a point, as there often is in dealing with things about God, there's going to be a point where it's I'm just going to have to trust him by faith about the rest of those details because I can't get it, right? And that's, it, that's you know, I, that's kind of God I want to worship. If, if I'm worshiping a God I've got totally figured out, it's like, I don't know, right? Amen. That's probably not going to make a lot of sense. So many of, us, many of us struggle to imagine how God can have a plan that gets down to precise details like which field Ruth ends up in, right? But he doesn't control us like robots. So what that's led to is it's led to heresies, like um, people saying, well, God doesn't really know the future. He knows a bunch of possible futures and, and you know, he'll just, hopefully we get to the right one. Or the, or, or the God doesn't, God's finding out what's going to happen along with the rest of us. Nope. I understand that that makes more sense. I get, I get that, 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 creates a neat box. I can go, okay, then I can understand how some of this works then. That, that computes. What doesn't is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. 
a God that literally exists on a plane outside of time as we experience it. The one who called time into existence as a part of the creation that he made. Okay? Established the laws of how it was going to work. Yeah. Amen. But we struggle. We struggle to see how he could have a plan that precise but not control us like robots. We we start to think about this seriously and you're like, well, what if... It was so important that Ruth ended up in Boaz's field, but what if she had turned left instead of right that day? And how do we figure, how does all this work? Well, if we're thinking that, and let's just pretend we are, then let me ask us a question, okay? What if, what, what if, what if Ruth went left instead of right? Well, here's my question. What if Pharaoh, what if after he let God's people go from Egypt, what if he changed his mind and then he chased after them. And then the, the people of God end up at the edge of the Red Sea in front of them. And a, a, a giant angry uh, army of chariots coming this way. What if that happens? God will split the sea. Because if God doesn't want them to get them and he wants them over there, a body of water is not a problem. Now, So I'm trying to get us to deal with the what ifs and as we think about how God works in the world and what his sovereignty looks like. And that's a a real big, obvious example when God comes and intervenes by splitting a sea in half. It's it's one of the probably biggest, most obvious that I can think of, okay? Um, But that's a big visible example, but what I want to ask us to try to think about, can we imagine millions of of small, invisible examples of that every day. Could we think that God could work like that as well? Let me, let me give you an example. I, I, I made up some extra narrative here about Ruth to, to kind of exemplify what I'm saying. So what, let, the day that Ruth ended up in Boaz's field, let's, let's imagine that Ruth got a late start her first day of gleaning, okay? She got a late start because she was asking Naomi questions about the customs of the people and make sure she didn't go out and say anything offensive because she's a Moabite, right? So she may not know. So let's just say they have a conversation. That means Ruth gets a late start. And maybe it just so happened the night before that it rained. So the roads were muddy. And that meant the wagon, Boaz's workers, were using to haul their tools to the field. It was, it was getting stuck and it, it slowed them down getting to work. So Ruth got a late start because she's talking to Naomi. And, and Boaz's workers got hung up by the, the muddy road. And maybe what that would mean is that they were closer to the road working because they, they got there late and they started into the field. So maybe they're closer to the edge of the road when Ruth came by. So, so she turned into that field because that would mean as they start to harvest, there's gonna be gleanings closer by. Maybe that's what caught her eye and that's what led her into the field. I made all of that up. It means nothing, okay? You got me? The Bible doesn't say that. I made it up. What I'm trying to show you is God doesn't have to split a sea to sovereignly intervene. You could get a sprinkle of the rain the night before. And we can't, and that's the problem. When we were saying, well, I don't see how. Well, I don't see how. Whether it's about our lives or other things, big things, little things, I don't see how. I know you don't see how. I know you don't understand how that sprinkle of rain three states over had an effect on your day. But God does. Okay? He's that big, that powerful, that mighty, that in control. 
God could use a gentle breeze, a butterfly, a booming voice from the sky, or anything he wants to lead someone into the right barley field. And lots of times, you're going to have no shot at, at being able to know in the moment that that's what's happening. So it comes down to, what am I, so what am I going to believe about that? Am I going to believe and trust that God is doing what he said he would do? That he does have a plan and that he can get it done? Right? That kind of, it kind of frees me from having to always be second-guessing. Is this a sign or is that a sign or is this a... I don't, I don't really have to be privy to all the information God is. I just have to trust him. <laughs> and sometimes in his great mercy and goodness towards us, he makes it very obvious when he is moving something around, shifting things. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for that mercy. I don't demand it of him, though. Right? Because we read the scriptures and we see things like... Uh, the Red Sea and, and, and the miracles in the desert and we, we, we get to where we see the prophets and, and, and all God did with Elijah and this kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, when we read it, it's like, okay, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. There's big spans of time in between and lots of other stuff going on around, <laughs> right? So we, we get this idea that, well, if God's moving in my life, I need to see uh, burning bushes or I need to have a standoff with some prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, see a fireball, right? Or I need to see a Red Sea split. Man, it might literally just be uh, God and his sovereignty knew exactly when the air was going to run out of your tire and that was going to put you in a spot or keep you out of a spot and that was going to be a part of his sovereign plan for your life. And so you got to decide if you're going to say them dirty words about your flat tire Just an example, but some of you are feeling it clearly. <laughs> and we could, get, we could go way into that. Why does the flat tire get us so riled up? Well, it's probably because we feel very important and we, we have somewhere to be. Boy, it's super important that we're there because I have an idol of you know, my own granddaughter. I did, that's not even in the sermon, but hey. Um, you see what I'm saying? God, God has he's made it plain, Okay. He's got the power to get it done and the goodness to trust him. Over and over and over and over and over again, okay? <clears throat> I know this is hard to grasp, okay? And I want you to, I gave you an example a minute ago. A whole lot of heresy comes from people trying to eliminate all mystery when it comes to who God is and how he does things. The same thing happens with the Trinity. The idea that God is three co-eternal, co-equal, co-powerful persons, but one God. That doesn't compute. It's very hard to understand what that even means. But it is how God presents himself in his word. So all, many heresies about the, the character and nature of God come from trying to make that difficult, like antinomous uh, concept make sense. And, and antinomy is something we, we as Western people, influenced by the Enlightenment and, and very kind of Greek logical thinking, it drives us nuts. We can't stand an apparent contradiction being left in its tension. But Hebrews, didn't, they understood that you're going to run into those. There's many things you're going to find that will be an antinomy. This doesn't seem like, this, it doesn't seem like this and this can coexist in reality. But they do. Partially because we're dealing with a God far above what our cerebral cortex can handle. Amen? Okay. 
The truth of the matter, whether it makes sense to us or not, is that God is sovereign and has a plan, and your choices matter. Because part of what I'm coming against in this thing is, is that fatalistic kind of puppet idea. Some people are fine with saying, okay, yeah, God is sovereign. He's, doing, you know, he's got it. Yes, God is sovereign. But that leads them to this idea then, it's, it's a fatalistic idea that, well, it doesn't matter what I do. God's going to get his thing done. Well, <laughs> that's, not, that's not how it's presented in the scriptures it, at all, Okay. Our choices matter. It mattered that Naomi came back to Bethlehem and it mattered that Ruth went with her. It mattered that Ruth loved her mother-in-law enough to take her life in her own hands as a Moabite widow and go glean in the fields so they could eat. It mattered that Boaz was able to see her as more than just a marginalized Moabite. It mattered that he didn't see himself as better than her because of his ethnicity or the reputation that Moabite women had for being sexually promiscuous. It mattered... That Rahab, the harlot from Jericho, hid two Hebrew spies and saved their lives because she acknowledged that their God was the true God. Now, I'm glad that some of you, amen, but I'm wondering if some of you are going, hey man, you mixed up your references. Because Rahab's not in the book of Ruth, dog. Uh, Pastor Vince, I think you made a mistake there. Uh, (laughs) Look, man, I... (laughs) (laughs) Rahab is not in the book of Ruth, okay? I know Rahab isn't mentioned in the book of Ruth, but we're talking about legacy and we're talking about God's sovereignty. And if you run up to the book of Matthew and you look at that genealogy, you're gonna see that Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. I've been waiting for eight weeks to hit you with this. See, nobody knew. I'm talking about legacy and God's sovereignty. Nobody knew when Rahab hung that scarlet red cord out of her window. It wasn't just to save her family, but it was going to point to a descendant of hers who would come a thousand years later to save all who would trust in his scarlet red blood flowing down a cross. Nobody knew when it was happening, you see. And, and do you think, may, that, I jumped way ahead there, but let, let's, let's back it up a second. Do you think maybe just possibly the fact that Boaz's mama was a Gentile harlot before God swept her into his plan of redemption, do you think maybe that had something to do with how he was able to view Ruth? See, nobody knew when the spies were hiding under the stuff on the roof that what that meant was Rahab was going to end up marrying. Some people say Salmon was one of the spies. That's extra conjecture, but it'd be cool, right? I don't know. I'm just telling you. But anyways, she gets swept into God's redemptive plan. She becomes a part of the people of God, trusts in God, marries Salmon. They have Boaz. Nobody knew when she was hiding them spies. Nobody knew when she strung that scarlet thread out the window. She was going to end up having a son named Boaz who was going to end up marrying a girl named Ruth who was then going to be able to have a son called Obed who would have a son called Jesse who would have a son called David. Nobody knew that. Are you starting to feel the weight of the reality that your choices matter today? And it may echo for generations. And just because God is sovereign doesn't mean you get to kick back and not care about your choices. 
And I know that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, but it is. It is. That is the way God has presented the reality of the situation. He is sovereign and your choices matter. The genealogy in Ruth stops at David because that's as far as they knew when it was written. Okay? But the legacy of these faithful women continues. You can see in Matthew 1, I'm not, I'm not going to read it to you even though I want to. Man, I want to. The legacy of these faithful women continues. And you'll be very interested. Please do. Go read Matthew 1 later. Make a note and, and go check it out. You will see most of the time it's the father's. So-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so begot so-and-so, or was the son of so-and-so. You'll, you'll find a really interesting spot where it says that Boaz was the son of Salmon by Rahab, that Obed was the son of Boaz by Ruth. The mamas get included in the genealogy. And isn't that, pre- they're not the only, there's a couple more, but isn't it precious that the two Gentile women no one would have ever thought could have even been counted among the people of God get included almost exclusively in the genealogy leading up to Christ, the one who was going to redeem the people of God, but also all the Gentiles. Come on, man. The Bible's made up. I don't think so. Nah. It's too much, man. And I'm not going to go read you Matthew 1 because I will get, I will get all hemmed up in there. So, and we need to, okay, we need to talk about how this should affect the way we live today with some more specificity, okay? So let's, let's transition that way. Mm, what is, so what does this mean, okay? I've, done, I've worked hard to try to show you the, the intersection of God's sovereignty and legacy, okay? And, and I'm hoping you're seeing that. I'm hoping you're, you're at least one-fifth as excited about it as I am and that you grow in your excitement about it because it has real-world implications for you right now. Not only is it cool, in a historical sense, it matters right now. Why? Well, because I'm going to give you three things R- related to how it affects kind of in, in our plane of time, okay? God's sovereignty gives us peace for the past. God's sovereignty gives us peace for the past. The Bible is full of stories of people who had no chance to see how their struggles were not evidence God had failed, okay? I said that a little, I said it a little weird. Here's what I'm saying. The Bible is full of stories of people that as they were experiencing the difficulty they were going to, through, there was no way for them to be able to see from their vantage point that God had not failed them, but indeed was doing what he always does. Romans 8 tells us that, working for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. We talk about that promise a lot here because it's really crucial for the way you navigate life. What you believe about what God's doing. What his intentions are. And here's the thing. The Bible's full of stories like that. People that as they were going through it, there's no way they could have seen what the outcome was going to be. How that fit into a larger plan. And, and, and sometimes, like Naomi, we get to hold an Obed. Sometimes in our life, after some time goes by, after we walk through fire, through difficult situations, there, there are times I, I, I could regale you all day with examples in my own life, but I know you have some too. Maybe you haven't thought about it in a while, but you should. You've got Obeds in your life. 
Things that as, the, as it played out, you're able to stand at a different vantage point on the timeline looking back and it lets, you know, this is not that hard to understand. Everyone has heard hindsight's 2020, right? And there's, a, there's, a, there's some truth to that. But we're, talk, we're talking about it in a more expansive way. We're talking about it allows us from that vantage point. So, so for Naomi to be holding Obed, is gonna, she's going to be feeling different about and looking differently at the trudge from Moab to Bethlehem than she did when she was trudging from Moab to Bethlehem. You understand what I'm saying? Of course she is. And it started, it, it, the, the shift started back when, you know, Ruth ran home with her lap full of gleanings and Naomi said, where'd you get all this? She said, oh, I was in the field of Boaz. And Naomi went, hold on. That's our kinsman redeemer. She started to get a glimmer of maybe God's up to something here. And what I'm saying to you is, there will be times that God in his mercy affords you that kind of vision to be able to see, okay? And praise God for that. But also like Naomi, there will be much we never even realize until we cross into the glorious gates of eternity. She was able to hold Obed and understand God was doing something amazing and precious for her. Even in the midst of all the struggle and difficulty, that in the middle of it, there was no way she could have possibly even imagined but it's, it goes so much farther than that. That's why the genealogy takes us from Salmon to Boaz to Obed to Jesse to David. So it not, not only, okay, this, I mean, this would be enough for, for a person in her position, for, for her lineage to be a couple generations away and end up being the king of Israel. That's a big deal. That's huge, man. But the Bible isn't taking us to David here just, just to think about how cool it is for your grandson or great-grandson to, to be the king. Well, that's, a, that's pretty dope. Thanks, God. I see you're doing something. Oh, no, it's, it's so much bigger than that because David, go to Matthew 1, is right smack in the middle of that genealogy. Keep on going. Where do we end up? We end up that it wasn't just about Naomi ended up to be the grandma or great-grandma of the king of Israel. It's that, it's that Naomi is now taking care of a son that is in the, in the bloodline and will be the lineage of the king of the world, the savior of the world. <laughs> what? It's incredible. But what I'm saying is, Naomi never even got a look at that. As far as, as, far as she knew, she was, just, she was able to look at what God had done with Obed and that was amazing. She, and her neighbors were able to rejoice with her. But what I'm saying is, friends, I'm talking about legacy. I'm talking about God's sovereignty. I'm talking about the fact that there will be reverberations and echoes out from the choices you make in your life, okay? And God, God can do things that you never could have possibly even conceptualized. And he will and does. But it mattered that Naomi, instead of running deeper into Moab away from God when she was struggling, ran to him. It mattered that Ruth came. See, God didn't take them like puppets, right? He didn't, he didn't grab a hold of their minds and control them and say, this is what you're gonna do. He doesn't have to. He's so big and so powerful. He's seen the whole thing play out that he can maneuver things. He can get things done and leave the volitional will of people intact. 
that's a big God. And, and you're try- some of you right now are like, what? Exactly! I know, okay? Yes. So what are you going to do with that? I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to praise. I'm going to worship. Because he's shown me enough. I've got the book, right? I've got the people's lives around me. I've got the things in my own life to see, yes, this is, does how, this is how he operates. He's got the power to do this. I've seen it over and over again. Amen. Some, you're not going to see some of what God does until you cross into the glorious gates of eternity. You're not going to understand how some things were going to unfold. The question is for you today, has God shown you enough to trust him in the meantime? You will get little glimpses of the working of his plan. You will not see the fullness of all that he's doing. For sure, you can't. We, we couldn't even handle it. There's, there's, there's not enough storage space up here. You understand what I'm saying? The hard drive he's got that game tape on has got to be pretty big. Okay? Bigger than the three-pound piece of meat between your ears can handle. Amen. I'm just trying to humble you. I'm not trying to be mean to you. I mean, I'm not saying you're dumb. I don't care who you are. I don't care how smart you are. You, don't, you can't even possibly conceptualize understanding and, 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 and having a plan for all of the details for all of the humans and all of what he allows for time to unfold. <laughs> what? You know, we're doing good, like make it to work on time uh, some days. So, you know, let's be, let's be real about us here. Amen. So God's sovereignty gives us peace in the past. God's sovereignty gives us peace in the present. Gives us peace in the present. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of ways this manifests. I'm just going to kind of, for the sake of time, narrow in on one Thinking about Ruth's experience, okay? We know that this, this book happened in, in the, uh, the time of the judges, okay? And that was a time of darkness in Israel, uh, characterized by kind of a summary verse of the book of Judges, which says, um, in, in that time, Israel had no king, and everyone just did what was right in their own eyes, okay? So stuff was, was buck wild, okay? Go to street-level vernacular. Things were crazy. But there's this element in the way Ruth went about the, the business of gleaning and all of that that I think is, is helpful for us to think about. There was big problems. There was big unrest. There was big chaos. I mean, for that time, you know, I don't know what their conception of, of the world was, but as far as, as far as they were aware, there was, there was big problems. The world as they knew it was in, in utter chaos. Anybody relating with that? Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Instead of sitting in the house, wringing her hands about all the big problems, Ruth went out and she gleaned some grain so that her and Naomi could eat. What am I saying? I'm saying that we acknowledge God's sovereignty when we work in the field before us instead of vexing over the broken state of the world. Okay, And it's got even harder for us today because back in that time, uh, Ruth wasn't jumping on... Uh, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, and, and seeing the, the latest reporting of all the catastrophes all around the entire globe. Okay, that is something you're dealing with. And I realize it can be hard to, to come back into a focus on who and what has God put right in front of you. 
and you acknowledge God's sovereignty to handle the rest of that, you acknowledge your limitation when you are willing to come back and humbly focus on the field in front of you. The people, the things God has placed in front of you to minister to, to walk in love towards, to handle. Charles Spurgeon said this, no life can surpass that of a man who quietly continues to serve God in the place where providence has placed him. And I agree with that. I think there's nothing wrong with a global perspective. I think we should have that. We should think about these things. We should pray about these things. Uh, But there's a sense in which we need to understand what field God's put in front of us and and not feel convicted about getting our, our heads down into that work and trusting God with the rest. Because wringing our hands about it, last time I checked, let me check my notes, yeah, it's not doing any good. Amen. So God's sovereignty gives us peace in the present. And God's sovereignty gives us peace for the future. Friends, the beauty of God's sovereignty is not just that we can look back with awestruck wonder at his power on display in history. Okay? We also can look forward with anxious anticipation of his power on display in the future. Because we've seen his faithfulness in the past, we're experiencing his faithfulness in the present, it allows us to look forward Instead of with fear and anxiety, it's an anxious anticipation, a joy-filled anticipation of his power being on display in the future. And this is, this is a big part of why God gave us the scriptures, okay? His plan has always been to save us by faith. That's always been the plan. And we can't place our faith wholeheartedly in a God we don't trust. This is part of why, Okay? It's part of why God saw fit to record the history of his plan of redemption unfolding, right? So that you could understand all the way back and Leah feeling rejected and and giving birth to Judah and then follow that line down and here comes Perez and he lives in Bethlehem and then then they come in and and, and then you see uh, maybe Salmon, one of the spies. I don't know. I hope so because that'd be cool. I'm going to ask when I get on the other side of eternity. But he ends up meeting Rahab. They end up getting married. They have a son called Boaz. Who marries Ruth, Obed, Jesse, David? Why? What is? Why? Why? Why did God give us? Why did He record all that? So we can see these principles play out over and over and over again. So we can see our place in His place. So we can acknowledge the reality that they lived, the limited time view that they have. But we can see that God is working outside of that. That God is always doing things you can never possibly imagine. And he's always, always, always faithful to his promises. That's the effect it should have on us. The Bible allows us to watch the flower of God's redemptive plan slowly unfurl. And we get to see the full beauty of the bloom in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Okay? All the way back when Rahab hung the cord out the window, that, that flower was just starting to open. You didn't get to see the whole thing, but, but it keeps going. It keeps going as she marries Salmon and they have Boaz. And then he marries Ruth and they have Obed and Jesse and David. And then, the, and then Solomon and Rehoboam. And on it goes. And then that thing opens up and we get to see the full, expansive beauty, the unimaginable beauty of God's plan of redemption 
as, as, as the promise that all those things was pointing forwards to is fulfilled, as Christ is born where? In Bethlehem. Wouldn't you know it? As he lives a perfect life, as he feeds the poor and heals the sick, as he preaches the truth of the coming kingdom, and then he allows his own creation to murder him so his blood could be shed, the final sacrifice, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And my question to you is, if, if God is powerful enough and good enough to pull all that off, why wouldn't we be able to trust all the promises that we are still awaiting? If he did all that, he's got the rest. I would say the hard part's done. If the plan of God was going to falter, there was going to be some, some lack found in his power to fulfill his will. I think we'd have seen it. And this is one part of why we're so focused on Jesus and his gospel here. Because he is, he is the sun that, that the rest of the constellation revolves around. Okay? There, there are many precious truths to explore in God's word, but they are all, they're all anchored to and they're spinning around and reliant upon this central truth. God is loving and God is powerful and he wants to spend eternity with you. And he's accomplished the possibility of that through Christ and his finished work. Don't you see? The Bible is meant to give us all that we need to trust God, to know that we need him and to be able to trust him. He's given us, he's given us in his word all the evidence we need to trust him. The question today is, friends, will we? Will we? And that question goes out to those of you who are still yet considering whether you can trust him, whether you, you may not have yet trusted Christ for salvation. That, that answer is posed to you today. But it's also posed with equal weight to those of you who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You have been able to accept that you're a sinner in need of a savior. And you've asked Jesus to be that savior. The need to trust God doesn't stop at the point that we step through the door of salvation. It continues. It continues because God has a plan. It continues because our choices matter and legacy matters. And what I'm calling you to today, friends, is to walk and live in a manner worthy of a God who's given us this much to see, to trust, to move forward in confidence. I praise God that he does have a plan. I praise God that if, if I'm a real bonehead, man, he can use a booming voice, a butterfly, a rain shower, whatever he wants. He can get his will done. I'm not paralyzed in fear that I'm going to mess up the plan of God. It's God, hello, right? I'm not. But I also understand that he and his sovereignty has set this thing up, that what I do or don't do matters. So I, I'm going to proceed accordingly. I hope you will too, friends. I hope we can trust him today. Amen? Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, thank you so much for the book of Ruth. Thank you for knowing how much we needed it. Thank you for the precious beauty we get to see in, sh in four short chapters. Lord, I thank you that, that it's worked out for the life and rhythm of this church that we were able to take eight weeks to go through it. 
I thank you, Lord, we didn't have to rush. We got to stop and we got to savor. <laughs> and we, we still didn't plumb the full depths of it. We know we can't. Your word is living and active. And uh, many of us will come back and we'll set our eyes upon the words of Ruth next year and new vibrant truth will come and encourage our hearts. I thank you that your word is, is able to do that. Thank you uh, that we're never gonna exhaust the truth of your word. We're never gonna exhaust the beauty of your character. We're never gonna... We're never going to run out of things to be in awe of when it comes to you, your plan of redemption, your faithfulness, your power, your love, and your goodness, your majesty, your plan. As we try to conceptualize eternity, we started this service reading Revelation 21, the little glimpse John the Apostle got of what you're going to do. Wiping every tear from every eye. You're the only one that can do it, Master. We've got tears. I'm not, we're not trying to be dishonest about that. We've got struggles, we've got difficulties, but Lord, help us. Help us to expand our horizon, not to, not to only think in, in, in the little trap of time, through the little keyholes that we, we tend to get stuck looking through, but help us to, to pan out, to remember your plan of redemption unfolding and to know the way you're dealing with us today is no different. Help us to care about legacy, God. I ask right now, I ask, Lord, that for this church, the idea of legacy and generational impact, that it would influence our choices. It would influence how we spend our time and our finances. It would influence us when we're tempted to sin. God, may we not just think about the short-term consequences and whether or not it's worth it, but may we understand that this stuff, it reverberates down through generations. Help us to care about that Help us to be good stewards of this time that you've allotted us. God, we want to make the most of it for the furthering of your kingdom and the glory of your name. Thank you, Lord, that one day in eternity we'll look back at all of this and be able to rejoice as as we see the little dots connecting that we never could have seen as we lived it. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. I look forward to that so much. We love you, Master. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.